when I think to some of the most remarkable people that I've ever met, in fact, some of the most remarkable people that you have ever met, my, my mind almost immediately goes to the, for lack of a better term, believe in spite of people. It's those people that, that, are, that are going through those, those difficult, those very challenging circumstances. It might be with their health, it might be with their finances, their family, their marriage, you name it. But yet, their confidence in God, it's unwavering. It's almost unshakable. They, they still have this, this joy, this peace. And it really defies all logic because you're looking at the situation from the outside thinking to yourself, okay, if I was going through that, I would be reacting, I would be behaving much, much differently. These people truly seem to have that peace that surpasses all understanding. So much so, in fact, that you actually almost wonder if they're in denial, but yet that there's something about it that is so inspiring that even though you're not really totally sure where it's all coming from, you're pretty sure that you want some of it. In fact, there's a whole bunch of you who are actually tuning in, who are watching right now, and the reason that you even decided to turn this service on in the first place, the reason that you're even giving church a chance is because you saw exactly what I'm describing here in someone else, and you want to know more. You've seen people, even in the midst of this incredible crisis we're experiencing right now, that, that seems so calm, that, that seems so at peace, that, that they're still so full of joy, and in one way or another, maybe you just flat out asked them, maybe you began to piece it together through their Instagram post, but you just figured out that the it factor for them was their unshakable faith in Jesus. And, and again, you thought to yourself, I don't really know exactly what I'm getting myself into, but, but I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that I'd like at least a little bit of whatever that person has. And so here you are, giving church a chance, G giving Jesus a chance, because even if you're not totally sure about this whole Christianity thing, again, let's be honest, it sure seems a whole lot better than whatever you are currently working with. Because honestly, you don't have much peace. You don't have a lot of confidence. The future scares you to death. Shoot, death scares you to death. But these people, these believe in spite of people, even in the midst of what we're experiencing right now, they seem fine. In fact, they almost seem better than fine. It's like they're thriving. Like what in the heck is wrong with them? And this morning... We're going to continue this conversation that we actually started about five weeks ago, but we really kind of peeled back the curtain last week and, and on Easter. And so if you haven't been with us for the entirety of this series, I would really, really encourage you, please go back and catch yourself up. You can listen or watch the messages at grumlaw.com slash messages, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. But in this series, we've been talking about these words that are so often brought up in places like this. These words that are so often brought up in churches, these words, of course, are faith or belief. And today, we're going to continue talking about, okay, where does this unshakable type of faith come from? 
Where the heck do these believe in spite of people get that belief from? At least where did it begin for them? And more importantly, for the context of our conversation, is it possible for you, as in you watching right now, to have that type of faith as well? We're talking about a faith that stretches far beyond just believe, brother, and just believe, sister. It's a faith that, as we talked about last week, that's not divorced from reason. It's a faith that isn't just merely a blind hope. No, it's a faith that is defendable. A faith that holds up even in the midst of a crisis, even when it seems that everything is stacked against you. And if you've ever wrestled with this, and chances are I'm guessing that you probably have by virtue of the fact that you're watching right now, I have some really, really good news for you. Jesus, during his relatively short amount of time on earth, he he was a part of a lot of these he did what moments. We we would kind of traditionally refer to them as as miracles. As John, the writer that we're going to be taking a look at this morning, would call them a, a lot of signs. Jesus had a knack for pulling off the unthinkable. He he had a knack for pulling off the impossible. And what's so great for all of us who are watching right now, who are listening right now, is that so many of these people who witnessed these events with their very eyes, who heard this stuff, that they wrote a lot of it down for us so that we too might believe. In fact, I actually brought up this verse last week. Here are John's words. For for those of you that don't know and aren't familiar with John, he was actually one of the 12 disciples, one of these guys that spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus. And so he he didn't get this stuff from somebody else. This wasn't hearsay. No, he witnessed this stuff. He he watched it with his very eyes. He heard it with his very ears. He he was a, a bystander. He was a person that was beside Jesus as this stuff was taking place. And here in his document, aptly titled John, he has this to say right at the end. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. He's going, this this is just a handful of them. It's certainly not all of them. Jesus did a lot more stuff than what I took the time to write down. And again, when he says book, he's not talking about the big book, this book that we call the Bible. He's just specifically referring to his document, again, that we have titled John, that the place where he went and recorded the stuff that he observed. He said, but these are written. Here's why they're written. So that you, as in you watching right now, may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And that word right there, life, is so, so important because that's that peace. That's that contentment. That's that joy that you are seeing in those people that we just talked about, the believe in spite of people. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a pipe dream. That type of life is available to you. So in other words, he's saying here, John's saying, this isn't a belief that's divorced from reason. This isn't blind hope. This isn't shut up and stop asking questions. How dare you ever question Christianity? Well, why should I believe? Why should you believe? Well, John and and Mark and Luke and Paul and Matthew and other writers that we have here in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, they they would tell you that you should believe because of what happened. You, You should believe because of what Jesus did. See, these original followers of Jesus, and if you grew up in a more traditional environment, you know, you grew up in church, you might hate that I'm about to say this, but it's just true. These original followers of Jesus did not follow Jesus because of faith, and neither should you. 
That they followed Jesus because of what they saw, because of what they heard, because of what they witnessed. Now, this is really where we're going to be focusing in on this morning. Here's the tension that perhaps some of you, and we began to unpack this last week, here's the tension that some of you are rubbing up against. You are obviously not personally witnessing and observing these miracles, these signs firsthand as Jesus' original followers did. And the temptation for you, and really for all of us, and I'm not saying this is even a bad thing because I totally get this. I've had these same thoughts as well. The, 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 the tension for us, the temptation for us is to have this thought, well, well, if I would have actually seen this stuff, of course, I mean, come on, of course I would believe. And that might be true, perhaps. I mean, it's possible. But, but if you're watching right now and you've ever had that thought, the the miracle, the, the sign that we're going to be looking at this morning, I suspect, will really resonate with you. Now, before we go take a look at this miracle, I, I want to remind all of you, as I've continued to remind you throughout this series, and hopefully you aren't getting sick of me saying this, is, is that we all, as in every one of us watching right now, we all have the benefit of hindsight. Here's what I mean by that. We already know that Jesus wraps up his time on earth by predicting his own death, by predicting his own resurrection, and then he actually pulls that off. And if that's true, then we would be fools to not pay careful attention to what else Jesus had to say, to what else he did during his time on earth. I mean, don't get me wrong, these miracles would still be impressive, they would still be noteworthy, but I doubt we'd be talking about them a couple thousand years later. But in light of Jesus rising from the dead, it, it makes these miracles come even more to life. And so here we go, we're going to jump into Jesus' second earthly miracle during his relatively short amount of time here on this planet. Again, it's recorded for us in the book of John, one of the guys who witnessed this stuff firsthand. He didn't hear it from somebody else. He didn't get this information from somebody else. He saw this stuff with his very eyes. And so John chapter four, Jesus' second miracle, it says this, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned water into wine. Now that's actually the miracle that we talked about last week. Jesus' very first miracle during his time on earth. And so again, if you weren't here last week, make sure you go back and you catch yourself up. But it says there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. So I think this is kind of interesting. The, the first miracle that Jesus performs is, is a joyful occasion. And, and the second, it's a heartbreaking one. And again, it might just be a me thing, but, but I love that about Jesus, that he chooses to wade into both. He, he's willing to be a part of a celebration, but, but he's also willing to be a part of someone's affliction, their sickness. Now, th there are two really, really important details here that are worth pointing out before we really go any farther here. Now, number one, Capernaum, this city that's mentioned here in this passage of scripture, it was about an eight-hour walk from Cana where Jesus currently is. So when it says that it's nearby, I mean, I guess it's all relative to back at this point in history when you weren't really getting anywhere really, really quick because they, they didn't have cars and they certainly didn't have hoverboards and they didn't have planes. They were basically walking everywhere. Now, if you were a person of means, which this government official certainly was, it would be about a two to three hour journey by horseback or by chariot. Now second, again, as mentioned right here, he was a government official, which probably meant that he was a Jewish aristocrat and likely a Sadducee. 
Now, there were two really important groups in Jerusalem at this point in history, the Pharisees as well as the Sadducees. The Pharisees, we read an awful lot about throughout this book that we call the Bible, that they, they practice this very, very strict adherence to the law. They, these 613 rules that are contained within the Jewish scriptures. They believed that God was involved with the day-to-day life, that they, they believed in an afterlife. Now, now, the Sadducees on the other side of things, they, they were thinkers, they, they were more deterministic. They, they weren't really sure if there was an afterlife. What we, we were basically here was their thinking for the pleasure of God and everything else is determined. Your marriage is determined. How many kids you're going to have is determined. If you get sick, that was predetermined. You, you don't really ask God for anything because it's already set. Fate basically dictates everything from the Sadducee point of view. But, but, but today, for this government official, This all gets brushed to the side. Because in this moment, he's no longer this important government official. He's no longer a Sadducee. He he is a desperate father. Isn't it interesting that all of our intellect, that all of our pride, that that all of our certainty, it, it gets pushed to the side when someone that we love is suffering. And on this particular day, even though he's a Sadducee, and even though his entire life he's been convinced that it's all determined, he does not care. Because he is, he is terrified that his little boy is about to die. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged. He begged begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. He he jumps on his horse, he makes that two to three hour trek, and he gets in front of Jesus, he actually finds him, and he begs him. He begs Jesus to come back to his house, to take that journey back with him to heal his son. Now, now here's my theory as to why this happened and why this actually went down. And you could take it for what it's worth because it's not really validated by anything else. But this is just kind of my proposition here. Most people at this point in history, they had at least heard of Jesus back in this ancient Mediterranean world. They they were pretty familiar with with some of these things that Jesus had been pulling off, some of these miracles, the whole water into wine trick. I mean, that had impressed a lot of people. And and this guy's wife, whose son, again, was was dying, upon hearing that Jesus was close enough, I mean, it's only like a two to three hour ride away, she took one look at her husband and said, you go find that man and you bring him here. And and, and this father, in this moment, he had a decision to make. Do do, do I go hunting and, and looking for this rabbi? Do I go looking for Jesus? It was a more difficult decision than I think we maybe would initially assume because he knew that by leaving his son, there was a decent chance that if he didn't come home with Jesus, that if it didn't work, he might never see his son alive again. And even more, at this point, these were just rumors about this rabbi. These were just rumors about Jesus, rumors of a supposed miracle worker. The, the, the verb tense here for begged, it, it implies that, that this man was begging Jesus over and over and over again. Forget his dignity. Forget his theology. Forget his position in society. Forget how pathetic he may have looked because, because my son is dying. 
So, so Jesus, what is it going to take to get you to come home with me and heal him? Uh, a lot of you who are watching right now, you can relate to this. Because, come on, weren't these your first prayers? When you were desperate? When you felt like you were out of options? Some of you who are watching right now, you, you have found yourself praying consistently for the first time in your life over this last month because you need help. This might be the most desperate that you have ever been because, because you need help now. And, and what Jesus says next, it, it, it seems so insensitive, but it's really only because of our English translation and At this point, he's not just addressing this government official, but he's also addressing every person that would have been in the crowd that day. Everywhere that Jesus went, there were these massive crowds that followed. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to see him pull off these impressive he did what moments. And Jesus looks at him and he asked, he said, Will, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? It's really easy to read this particular passage and picture Jesus being annoyed, picture him being frustrated, but that's actually not the case. No, no, what Jesus is doing here, he's simply acknowledging what every single person in that crowd would have been thinking. He's going, there's no way that you're going to believe that I am who I am claiming to be unless you see with your very eyes. Because we all know this, right? Seeing is believing. He's going, I'm not expecting any of you to have faith for the sake of faith. And and, and so he decides to give him some proof. He decides to give this this government official and the crowd something to talk about. And, And interestingly enough, here we are a couple thousand years later, and we're still talking about it today. The official pleaded, Lord, please Come now. Enough of this banter, enough of acknowledging the crowd. Come now before my little boy dies. I I know how pathetic I look right now. I know it's embarrassing how little I have become. I know I'm begging. He's a desperate father. But, But what I'm so struck by in this interaction between Jesus and this official, Jesus and this father, It's not even the desperation, but it's his confidence. He's so confident, he's so unwavering that, that if he can just get Jesus to come home with him, it'll work. It's this foregone conclusion that his son will be healed. But but why is he so confident? Why did he make this trip knowing that if he could find Jesus, it would somehow work out? And, and honestly, it's probably a lot simpler than you might think. It's rumors, stories of the Son of God, rumors of a Savior on earth, R- rumors of, of holiness with human hands. In this father's mind, there are basically two options. Jesus comes with me, and perhaps my son will be healed. And two, he doesn't come home with me, and my son will die. But Jesus, he smiles. Because there's a third option. 
It says, then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son, he will live. He, he tells this man, hey, I'm not coming home with you, but you actually don't have anything to worry about. I mean, all of you fathers who are watching right now, can you even imagine this? Jesus uttering these words to you and you going, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. If I go home without you, there may be two deaths in our family. There were two pretty clear options here. You come with me and my son lives, or you don't come with me and my son dies. But, but, but you're saying right now, you're not coming with me, but my son is somehow going to live anyway? You're telling me that you want me to just jump on my horse, make this three-hour trek home, which now is going to feel like a three-day trip considering the circumstances, and just expect that when I get there, everything's going to be okay, that my son is going to be healed. And for everyone who is watching right now, wherever you're joining us from, do not miss this. Close the other windows on your browser. You know, put down the coffee that you're refilling right now. Don't miss this. This is so, so huge. This is where everyone who's watching right now, this is where your story collides with this man's story. Jesus asks him to do what he has been asking people to do ever since. He asked the official to do what he's asking you to do this morning. He asks the official to trust him based on the testimony from other people. Jesus asks you to trust him based upon the testimony of others. He asked this guy to trust him based on the stories told about him. And this is the path where every one of you are currently walking or at some point you walked before putting your faith in Jesus. This story in so many ways is a lifetime reduced to a day. We're asked to take Jesus at his word based on the word of other people. We're asked to trust our lives to Jesus based on the people who heard Jesus, based on the people who saw Jesus, based upon the testimony of those who walked alongside Jesus. And so the official, he, he thinks over what's being asked of him. And he makes a decision that people have been making now for 2,000 years. A decision that you actually have the opportunity to make this morning. He decided to trust Jesus. He decides to take Jesus at his word. He decided to believe Jesus. And this decision would prove to not only change his son's life, but his own life. As we're soon going to see here, his entire family's life. He decided to trust Jesus even though the evidence wasn't staring him in the face because remember, after all, he had never personally witnessed a single thing that Jesus had done, that he had said. And it says, and the man believed what Jesus said and he started 
home. <laughs> I love that. He starts home. P- perhaps even more important than believing, he behaved as if what Jesus said to him could be trusted. <laughs> Think about this. He, he walked away from the only person on the planet who could heal his son because he decided that he could trust him. Story wraps up. It says, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And a chill runs down his spine. And tears fill his eyes. Because the father realized that that was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he, his entire household, believed in Jesus. He gets this news and he, and he races home to see his son who is now healed. And upon arriving home, you have to imagine his wife rushing outside to the front yard to greet him and tell him the incredible news. And as she's recounting what happened, she notices that he doesn't even seem surprised. And she looks around, wondering, where's the rabbi? Where's Jesus? And so he tells his version of the story. And wouldn't you know it, the entire household, the entire family also puts their trust, puts their faith in Jesus. And why wouldn't they? Of course they did. And, and, and you would have done the same. Well, Well, if I would have actually seen this stuff, of course I would believe. Come on. Don't be so naive. Don't be so hard-headed. Do not be so simple-minded. Stop using this as your cop-out. Stop using this as your loophole. You, as in you watching right now, today, right now, you are not being asked to do anything more than what was asked of this government official 2,000 years ago. You are being invited to believe just as the official in this story was invited to believe. And of course, just like the official, I totally get it. Yes, it does require you to take a leap. Yes, it requires trust. But y'all, that this isn't crossing your fingers. It's not a blind hope. Because just like this man, and honestly, even more so, we have more testimony to rely on because we know that this story ends with Jesus rising from a grave. We, we are being asked to trust based on the testimony of others. And this morning, just like that government official 2,000 years ago, just like that desperate father, you are given the opportunity to place your trust in Jesus. See, the Most High God made the standard so simple when he sent his one and his only son down to earth to die for my sins, to die for your sins, to die for the sins of the world. Take that weight upon his shoulder. And allow himself to to be killed, murdered on a cross. But that three days later, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And he rose from the grave so that you might have new life. So that relationship with, with our heavenly father could be mended. 
And, and right now, you have that opportunity to place your trust in Jesus. And, and before I, I do what I'm about to do here, I want to make this very, very clear, because for too long, the local church and, and, and other ministries, they, they've tricked people into somehow thinking that by saying a prayer, that's going to win you a ticket into heaven. And that is not the case. Over and over and over again, we are told that it is our faith. It is our belief, our trust in Jesus that gets us that right standing. And so for you, it could be as simple right now as you just bowing your head in your living room, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, wherever you're joining us from, and just saying, Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I screwed up my relationship with you when I sinned. But thank you. Thank you for solving the problem that I have no ability to solve myself. Thank you for, for, for giving your one and your only son for me, but even more than that, thank you for raising him back to life so that I can have new life. From this day forward, I am going to live for him. My life will become an outpouring of gratitude in response to what Jesus has done for me. We're told that if you truly believe that, if you truly trust that, you're back. That relationship is mended. That right standing with God is corrected. Now for the rest of you, I actually want to end right where I began this morning. For, for those of you who are watching right now who would all, all, already call yourselves Jesus followers, I, I want to encourage you. To, to, to those of you that, that have been praying that same prayer over and over and over again, even though you are sometimes tempted to give up. But there's something there and, and you remain faithful. And, and you might even ask yourself in some dark moments, is this really worth it? But, but ultimately, you remain steadfast. You remain faithful. You keep your eyes on the prize. You keep focused on Jesus. Do you know who's watching you? No. And do you know what God is doing in the lives around you because of your faithfulness? No. And do you know who is a day or a month or a year or five years away from placing their faith in Jesus because of you? No. For a lot of you watching right now, you are the believe in spite of person that they're looking up to. Wondering, where does it all come from? That, that, that leads them to a point where they begin to search, where they begin to take their next step towards God. We have a reason to believe. And because of that, we then have the opportunity to show Jesus to the world a, a, a world that so desperately needs him through our lives because of how he has so radically transformed us.